The Nevada State Athletic Commission have approved a request to stage the Terrence Crawford Kell Brook fight in Las Vegas. Now, I'm a little surprised that this fight isn't happening in Nebraska. And the reason I say that is not just because Crawford is from Nebraska, but also because for the entirety of this year so far, as far as I'm aware, Nebraska has had very relaxed or limited restrictions compared to the rest of the country. And you guys can look this up for yourselves. They've been very relaxed and nowhere near as harsh on the restrictions as most other states. So it would have seemed like a more obvious thing to do to have Crawford Brook in Omaha. But for whatever reason, they've decided to take it to Las Vegas. The Nevada State Athletic Commission have approved the fight. And most of us agree that it's a, a decent fight for Terrence Crawford. He is definitely a strong favorite going in. But Kell Brook is a former world champion. He has been in there with the likes of Sean Porter. That's his best win. Was beating Errol Spence really until Spence wore him down and got the stoppage late. And of course, he was stopped by Gennady Golovkin. So those are his only, well, those are his, uh, you know, most prominent fights. He lost two of those, won one of them. So he still has pedigree, Kell Brook, and he's a big guy at 147. I mean, this might be the physically strongest and hardest hitting welterweight that Terence Crawford will have been in with so far as a pro. So yeah, should be interesting. However, I watched an interview with Dominic Ingle recently and he said that Kell Brook is doing his own thing for this fight in terms of training. That's a little concerning from the Kell Brook perspective. I know Kell Brook is experienced now and what have you. And of course he has lost fights under Dominic Ingle. And I'm not saying Dominic Ingle is the greatest trainer in the world, but he is a good trainer. Point being, you'd really want a stable training situation for Kell Brook going into this Terence Crawford fight. It could be his last roll of the dice. You'd want a, a, a stable training situation where he's happy, he's comfortable and gets the best preparation possible. But apparently that's not going to happen. Now, from what I could glean from this Dominic Ingle interview, it was a logistical thing. Because of all the restrictions and testing and quarantines and all this kind of stuff, Ingle essentially said that he's not willing to travel. So I'm assuming that Brooke wants to go where? To Marbella to train? Or maybe he wants to go out to America to train and Ingle's not willing to go with him? Or maybe Ingle is just not willing to go to the fight because he has other commitments in the UK with other fighters that he's training. And because of that, Brooke said, okay, I'm going to go do my own thing. I don't know. Whatever the case may be, it just doesn't look good for Kel Brook. And with any fight, I want to see the two guys at their absolute best, ideally, because then you're going to get the best chance of a good fight and great entertainment. So I want to see Kel Brook at the best he could possibly be with the best possible preparation and the same for Terrence Crawford. I don't want to see one guy who's compromised in some way against another guy who's tip top. So anyway, let me know what you guys feel about it. I'm sure most of you are going to say, Hatman, it doesn't matter. Even if he had Dominic Ingle in his corner, he's still not going to beat Terence Crawford. I hear that. But in boxing, upsets do happen. Okay. And in order for them to happen, you have to get all your ducks in a row if you're the underdog. And with Kell Brooks, less than ideal training situation, at least one or two of his ducks are definitely not in a row. <laughs> so it is what it is. Let me know how you guys feel about this in the comments below. Luke Campbell will take on Ryan Garcia in a WBC interim lightweight title fight on December 5th. And this will take place uh, on DAZN, of course, because it's a Golden Boy event. It doesn't yet say where the venue is going to be. Now, this is the biggest step up so far for Ryan Garcia in his career. Luke Campbell, of course, an experienced guy. He's fought the likes of Lomachenko, uh, also fought uh, Jorge Linares, etc. So Campbell's a vet at this point. Even though he still looks like a schoolboy, he's actually a vet. He's taken losses. And I keep on bringing up this point. Luke Campbell did a lot better in the Lomachenko fight than the scorecards give him credit for. He definitely lost. I'm not trying to make a case that Campbell won or it was a draw or anything like that. No, he clearly lost. But 
it wasn't as wide as the cards made it out to be. Luke Campbell did win some rounds in there and he did give Lomachenko a difficult puzzle to solve in the early rounds up to the mid rounds. Yeah, so he is a good boxer, Luke Campbell. Obviously, he's got that Olympic pedigree, experience as a pro, been around for a long time, southpaw, tall, tough, got plenty of heart. Going in there against Ryan Garcia, who is the new golden boy, right? He's the uh, Oscar De La Hoya 2.0. That's the way they're trying to market him. Got very fast hands, very talented, definitely more athletically gifted than Luke Campbell. And the way they're setting this fight up, he's supposed to win, right? Luke Campbell is coming in as the opponent. He's not coming in as the, the, the house fighter, the guy who's uh, supposed to get the victory here. So we'll find out how good Ryan Garcia is, how he compares to Lomachenko and Jorge Linares. It is a good barometer, actually, to find out where Ryan Garcia's at at this stage of his development and how good he can potentially be. Because if he goes in there and blasts Luke Campbell out, and stops him, I mean, he's made a statement. He's done something that Lomachenko couldn't do not too long ago, and something that Jorge Linares couldn't do. So, let's see. I'm looking forward to the fight. The winner takes on Devin Haney for the full WBC lightweight title. And imagine if it's Ryan Garcia versus Devin Haney. That will be an incredible fight. Two unbeaten, talented Young fighters, one of them, I mean, they're both on the zone, one of them with Matchroom, the other one with Golden Boy. So it's like an in-house cross-promotional rivalry. I think it would be great. You know, Oscar De La Hoya and Eddie and the two young fighters. And I like both of them, by the way, uh, Ryan Garcia and Devin Haney. But that's not to write Luke Campbell off. He does have a chance in this fight. Again, he's the more seasoned. He's the more experienced. He's been in with the better competition as a pro and he can box. So... Don't want to write Luke Campbell off. If he manages to do it, it really will be like an Indian summer in Luke Campbell's career. And I know he's highly motivated for this one. So, yeah. Let, may the best man win on December 5th. As I've said in several videos recently, we got plenty of good entertainment. I know times are tough right now, but as boxing goes, let's be thankful that fights, fans or no fans, are still taking place. And we got plenty of entertainment to look forward to for the remainder of 2020. So let me know how you guys feel about this particular fight. How do you see it going down? Who do you think wins? Will Ryan Garcia be able to stop Luke Campbell? If you're picking him to win, you know, are you picking him on points by knockout? What is it? And how many of you out there actually think that Luke Campbell can pull off the upset? Let me know in the comments. Bob Arum has taken yet another swipe at Eddie Hearn. He says he doesn't believe in rematch clauses and that they are overused by Eddie Hearn. <laughs> and obviously he's talking about the fact that the Lomachenko-Lopez fight doesn't have a rematch clause. But the Lomachenko-Lopez fight is an in-house fight. So from a promoter's standpoint, when you're matching two of your guys against each other, you're not too worried about a rematch clause because whoever wins, you get paid. And both guys are under contract with you. Whereas when you don't promote both guys, that's when you're more likely to feel like you want a rematch clause in the contract or the manager of the fighter at least wants a rematch clause in the contract. Bob Arum is like most boxing promoters, opportunistic. And when he sees an opportunity to take advantage of the fact that boxing fans are very short memories <laughs> and he sees an opportunity to attack one of his rivals, somebody he deems a threat. Because make no mistake about it, the reason that Bob Arum, over the past couple of years now, has been attacking Eddie Hearn so much is because Eddie Hearn is a threat to his business. Both in America and in the UK. He's a rival. I mean, when Al Heyman came on the scene, Bob Arum's criticism was mainly leveled at Al Heyman. So now that Al Heyman is... I don't want to say drifted away, but he's not as prominent in boxing as he was when he first burst on the scene because he was putting boxing on literally every single show and he had all these fighters that he'd taken from Golden Boy. And didn't Bob Arum try to sue him or something? Or something? <laughs> so now that Heyman isn't as powerful as he used to be and Eddie Hearn's come on the scene in a similar kind of way, he's now attacking Eddie Hearn every opportunity he gets.
Now, to be fair, as much as Bob Arum is being hypocritical here, because if you think Bob Arum hasn't had rematch clauses for many of his fighters over the years, then you know, you're smoking some strong stuff. He absolutely has. I mean, when Manny Pacquiao fought Jeff Horn, there was a rematch clause and that was Bob Arum, right? And there are many, many other examples. I mean, when Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, rematch got made, again, closing the contract. <laughs> so Bob's just being Bob. But the point of rematches in general, are they good or bad for boxing as in rematch clauses in a contract? He does have a point there. I think that it would be better. I'm not saying this is going to happen or I'm, you know, I'm not sure how practical it is from a business point of view, but from a fan point of view, I think it would be better if rematch clauses were confined to mandatory, well, excuse me, to voluntary well-titled defenses and unifications. But fights between two top 15 contenders perhaps shouldn't have mandatory clauses in the contract. Yeah, any two guys out of the top 15, if they fight each other, no rematch clause. If a guy in the top 15 fights a guy outside the top 15, maybe put a rematch clause, okay? Uh, and, and world title eliminators and stuff like that, there might already be provisions in those contracts for no rematch clauses. Although actually, no, you know, Povetkin and White was an eliminator or it was for the interim WBC world title and there was a rematch clause in it. So yeah, maybe that could work. Maybe that would be better because there are times from a fan perspective when you wish there was a rematch clause in a contract. For example, when you've had a controversial decision and you're thinking no way can the judges and that particular fighter get away with that belt or that W, they need to run it back immediately. There's outrage and so on and so forth. But if there isn't a rematch clause in a contract, the other guy can just sail off into the sunset. So in situations like that, from a fan perspective, you'd like to see a rematch clause. But in other situations, for example, like the Fury Wilder uh, rematch, we don't want to see this third fight, at least not yet, not immediately. So that's a situation where we're not happy about a rematch clause, you see? So from a fan perspective, it can be good and it can be bad depending on the circumstances. But let me know what you guys think about it in the comments below. Uh, I really don't need to quote Bob Arum here in this article. He said, you know, talks about he doesn't believe in rematch clauses. He says Eddie Hearn puts a rematch clause in every contract because he's not confident in his fighter. Well, Eddie Hearn is a businessman and most boxing promoters put rematch clauses in the contracts of their cash cow fighters. Most boxing promoters do this. Bob Arum's been doing it for many years. Uh, so <laughs> I really don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> it's just Bob being Bob. Let me know how you guys feel about it in the comments below. Eddie Hearn has fired back at recent comments made by Bob Arum about Sky Sports putting on so many pay-per-views. He said, quote, I just laugh. It's bizarre. On one hand, you have Todd DeBerth, top ranks president, phoning Sky saying, we just want to do business with Sky. On the other hand, you have Bob Arum saying, I never want to do business with Sky again. There is no one more committed to boxing than Sky over the years. Others have popped in when it's sexy, but over the years, Sky have been there. But just because you are putting a fight on, it doesn't mean a broadcaster is obligated to buy it. He couldn't believe that no broadcaster, and it is not just Sky, wanted to buy that fight. It is not that it isn't a good fight, but he punted it out everywhere. Us, BT, ITV, Channel 5, everywhere, and he couldn't get customers, so he sulked. They did the same thing with Terence Crawford, Kell Brook, and Aram says Sky only want to do pay-per-views. Aram was trying to get Sky to do Brooke Crawford on pay-per-view. They turned that down. They said they would buy the fight in any case and they came up with a ridiculous number and Sky now aren't interested in that fight either. Sky have a commitment to boxing, which is the budget they give to Matchroom. I made Aram an offer for Lomachenko Lopez, which probably wasn't dissimilar to the one he ended up taking, but by the end, uh, excuse me, but by then, he had gone. At the moment, no one is looking to spend above and beyond what they are already committed to in any business. 
it was a case of, here's our offer. I would rather spend our money on primetime boxing and our stable, but this is what we will offer. The same for Brooke Crawford. We haven't even made an offer yet, and I don't know where it will be aired. Consistently, we have seen boxing at three or four in the morning doesn't rate, especially as no one is going out now. So it's not like people are bowling in from a club at one or two a.m. Everyone is at home and going to bed early. It's not a reflection of the quality of the fight. It's a great fight. But in this market, Campbell Lomachenko was one of our poorest pay-per-views and no one knows who Tiafimo Lopez is. As a hardcore fight fan, I think it's a fantastic fight, but the hardcore fan base is extremely small. Aram tried to, uh, Aram tried uh, for Lomachenko Lopez as a pay-per-view in the US. It was only when they realized it would not do a lot of buys that they put it on normal ESPN. He did Crawford and Khan on pay-per-view and everyone seems to have forgotten that Lomachenko Lopez is on pay-per-view in the UK, end quote. All right, long quote there from Eddie Hearn, but he makes some very good points. Lomachenko Lopez, pay-per-view in the UK. <laughs> Bob Arum not complaining about that. Uh, Bob Arum, according to Eddie Hearn, tried to get Brooke, uh, uh, Crawford Brooke on pay-per-view in the UK. Again, he wasn't trying to complain about that. He was trying to get that done. So it appears that Bob Arum, at least according to Eddie Hearn, is just experiencing some sour grapes because he couldn't get the British broadcasters to buy his pay-per-views. So he's pointing fingers at Sky and to a lesser degree Eddie Hearn because he kind of blamed Sky more than Eddie Hearn in his tirade the other day. He said that Sky won't give Eddie Hearn the rights fees to just put the fights on and pay the fighters what they want. They're basically forcing Eddie Hearn to go down the pay-per-view route all the time. Okay, so he, he, to be fair, he didn't really lay into Eddie Hearn. It was more Sky. But either way, <laughs> it appears to be the case that he's laying into Sky because they wouldn't buy his fight. Why isn't he laying into Channel 5 or BT or you know some of these other platforms for not buying one or more of his fights? And again, another good point by Eddie Hearn, Bob Arum put Terence Crawford versus Amir Khan on pay-per-view. <laughs> all right so so he's got a bit of a nerve talking about oh eddie hearn's fight shouldn't be pay-per-views when he put on uh crawford khan on pay-per-view and khan was past his best and how good was khan even at his best anyway he was never one of the elite other than maybe for a brief period at 140 pounds he was never one of the elite he was always chinny <laughs> You know, and Aaron put that on pay-per-view. It is what it is. Bob Arum always saying hypocritical things, but because he's so forceful with his criticism, I think he gets away with it a lot of the time because when someone is that confident in their criticism of their rival, a lot of fans tend to assume, well, he must be sincere and he must be uh, speaking with integrity here because look how forceful he is. But that's just a tactic, you know, really and truly Bob Arum knows that he has done many of the same things that he criticizes his rivals for doing. <laughs> it is what it is. And I'm sure it's going to continue. Let me know what you guys think in the comments below. Breaking news. According to various media reports, the third fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder is off. And this is because the rematch clause has apparently now expired. These things do have time limits on them, obviously. Now, for most of us, this sounds like good news because the Wilder uh, rematch, that the third fight that is, was getting in the way of us seeing Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua for the Undisputed. And that's what most of us want to see. Now, the question here is, has the rematch clause actually expired? Because... In some of these media reports, it's saying that the rematch clause is close to expiring. And they're just assuming it's going to expire and the third fight between Fury and Wilder won't happen. But will Team Wilder try and throw a spanner in the works here at the last minute, at the 11th hour? Will they say, aha, not yet, not yet, 
we still intend to go ahead with this third fight and we've just managed to get some venue, we just managed to get some money together, we're going to do this, that and the other and make sure that this trilogy fight actually takes place. Hopefully that's not the case. Again, there's nothing against Deontay Wilder as much as I've criticized him over the years because both him and his fans have gotten carried away with Wilder worship and Wilder's ego. Wilder is a very exciting fighter. He's a tremendous puncher and he provided us some excellent entertainment over the years. But it's always been the top priority for me as a boxing fan to see the undisputed fight, irrespective of who takes part in the undisputed fight. I want to see it. I want to see an undisputed champion so we can then say, okay, this guy's the man. We can throw all the lineals and all that type of stuff out of the window and just have one champion. Now, he'll probably get stripped not long after becoming undisputed, but at least he became undisputed. So if he does get stripped, the other champions don't look like the real champion. You understand? So nothing against Wilder. It's just business. As a boxing fan, I want to see an undisputed champion. So it says here in this TalkSport article that sources in the States and the UK confirm Fury versus Wilder 3 is definitely off with either Joshua or Fury set to become the first undisputed heavyweight champion of the world since Lennox Lewis. And they talk about the possibility of Fury versus AJ happening in the UK. If not, then possibly in the Middle East or even China. Let's see what happens here. If any of you have got more information about this in terms of any response from the Wilder camp, and also I'd like to ask you guys, do you really believe that Deontay Wilder himself actually wanted this trilogy fight with Tyson Fury? Because I've said all along, I don't think Wilder really wants it. I think that there's members of his team that want it and maybe members within his circle, the hangers-on, the people who are getting paid off Wilder's success. There's a lot of money in that trilogy fight. Not as much money as there was in the second fight, obviously, but there's still a lot of money in it. And the people around him, they want to get paid. So if the trilogy fight doesn't happen, there's the danger that Deontay Wilder kind of drifts off into obscurity again, relative obscurity. You think those people around him want that? Nah, man, they're trying to get that bag. <laughs> so it was always my view that Wilder deep down didn't really want to fight, but because he's a prideful individual and because he feels like he needs to live up to a certain image and live up to certain expectations, he decided to invoke that rematch clause. I think there was probably a lot of pressure on him from the broadcaster, from the advisor, from managers and trainers and all that kind of stuff. But as I say, they might try to throw a spanner in the works at the 11th hour because according to these articles, the rematch clause is about to expire, but will it actually? We'll see. And again, some of you are going to say, this proves that Wilder didn't really want it and it proves what I'm saying is true. But there's one thing, the fighter not wanting it. It's a different thing, the team not wanting it. <laughs> when you've got a fighter, look, Deontay's not going to admit to his team, I don't want the fight. He's not going to admit to the broadcaster. He's not going to admit to, you know, other people openly. That's something they might get a sense from, you know, they might get a vibe from him that he don't want it, but he's not going to come straight out and say it. So anyway, let me know what you guys think, think about this news in the comments below. I'm out. It's interesting that Frank Warren has finally come clean and lifted the lid on what really happened between him and Mike Tyson about 20 years ago now. For those of you who don't know, Frank Warren brought Mike Tyson to the UK for a couple fights in, God, must have been the late, yeah, 1999, year 2000, around then. The first fight was against Julius Francis in London, and the second fight was against Lou Savarese in Scotland. Now, when Mike Tyson came over for the first fight, things seemed to be all good between him and Frank Warren. 
But when he came back for the Luce Avaris fight, things took a turn for the worse, <laughs> at least for Mr. Warren. Now, at the time, Frank Warren turned up to the Tyson Savarese fight with a bruise under his eye and his eye was bloodshot. One of his eyes was bloodshot and it was bruised. And there was speculation at the time, a lot of rumors flying around that he'd been attacked by Mike Tyson, physically attacked. Frank Warren downplayed those rumors. I don't remember him categorically and flat out denying that Mike Tyson damaged his eye, but he, he just worded things in, in such a way to try and throw people off the scent, basically. So he, I, he might have flat out denied it. I, I can't remember. It's a long time ago now, 20 years. But he wouldn't confirm that Mike Tyson had actually punched him. So now, all these years later, 20 years later, he's now come out in the British media and said, yes, Mike Tyson did punch him in the face in a hotel room and dropped him. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to read from this. It's, it's interesting that he's decided to do it now. Is it a way of Frank Warren getting himself back in the newspaper headlines to keep himself in the consciousness of boxing fans, associating himself with Mike Tyson? You know, is it Frank Warren clout chasing? It's just interesting that he's waited all these years to finally reveal what happened when he kept shtum about it for the most part. He did it, it, it was clear that Frank Warren had fallen out with Mike Tyson after that Savarese fight because Frank Warren was saying quite disparaging things about him in interviews and stuff like that. But he just wouldn't say whether Tyson had done that to his eye. <laughs> so now he's saying it. So I'm going to read from this interview here with Frank Warren. He said, quote, first time he came over, no problems. He was great. And then he went into a jeweler's and walked out with an invoice for, I can't remember the exact amount, 1.5 million or 2 million pounds, something like that. They never paid the bill and the jewelers quite rightly wanted to get paid and they kept ringing me. And I was ringing the States. They're telling me, don't worry, we're going to do another fight here. Let's pay it out of that. When he came back the second time, he was just awful, beyond awful. He was petulant, aggressive, totally different scenario. The bill hadn't been paid still and he'd gone into the jewelers because there was a girl in there that he had met and he was basically showing off to her. And to cut a long story short, he got bleep about it. I get a call. Somebody tells me Mike's not happy. I go up to the hotel next minute. You stand there talking and he's taking a swing at me. He actually caught me. There's a lot of commotion. I didn't expect it. It was a cheap shot. I got up and it's pandemonium, madness in the room. When I say it's my fault, I should have known. I should have pulled out of that situation from the start, all the newspapers said my jaw was broken, ribs were broken. It was all BS. Nothing was broken. My eye had a burst blood vessel. That was it. I made sure he paid for what he did, hit him where it hurt. And he went berserk after the fight. The police actually ran him out of town. After the fight, he went straight to Gatwick and they left the country. Years later, they wanted to put a fight on against Kevin McBride, Irish guy, and they wanted to sell the rights to Sky. I told him to put him against Danny Williams, an English guy, and I could do a better deal. I said to Danny, for two or three rounds, this would be World War II. Get through it and you'll knock him out. And that's what he did. End quote. So Frank Warren, as usual, whenever he tells these stories, makes himself out to be totally innocent. <laughs> but that's just one side of the story. I'd like to hear what Mike Tyson had to say about things. Was he just randomly upset at Frank Warren? Because that's the way the story makes it out to be. Was it really just about this watch? Or were, were there other things that Mike Tyson wasn't happy about to do with Frank Warren? Because again, Frank Warren over the years has made out that Mike Tyson simply wanted Warren to pick up the tab for this watch. And because he wouldn't, Mike Tyson got really angry and they fell out. So that's one side of the story. Like to hear Mike Tyson's side of the story. I mean, don't get it twisted. Mike Tyson is a very volatile character. And especially back then in the 90s and early 2000s, he was very, very volatile, as we all know. But Frank Warren can be a pretty challenging, difficult person himself, to say the least. So maybe it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. Who knows? Did 
Mike Tyson ever talk about what went on between him and Frank Warren before? I'm not sure. Maybe one of you guys can fill me in in the comment section below. See, this is why I make a point of highlighting the way in which fighters and promoters respond to particular questions because you can get a gauge for whether they're actually telling the truth or whether a certain rumor about them is true. Frank Warren did not categorically deny that Mike Tyson had punched him in the eye all those years ago, back when it happened. But he refused to confirm it. And the way he was talking, it's like he was trying to downplay it. <laughs> so, again, from a psychological point of view, listen to the exact words that come out of people's mouths. And that will reveal a lot about whether they're being sincere or whether they're not. Because if you're being sincere, and look, some people can even categorically deny something and be very specific, and they're still lying. But more commonly, when someone doesn't want to admit something, they will choose their words very carefully to make it sound like they're denying it or imply that they're denying it, but they're not really specifically denying it. And that's what Frank Warren, as I say, did with Mike Tyson in terms of the rumors he got punched in the face <laughs> all those years ago. Anyway, let me know what you guys think about this in the comments below. Why is Frank Warren coming out with this information after all these years? Is he, is he just clout chasing? Let me know. One of the Sowland brothers, either Kala or Nissa, I'm not sure which because they got a joint Twitter account. They put out this tweet the other day trying to gold Frank Warren into making Daniel Dubois versus Philip Hergovich. So as you can see, it says, does Dubois versus Joyce have a date? Could make Hergovich versus Dubois this afternoon. Easy biz and a cracker for the fans. Done for free and sparring and Philip more than happy to oblige under the lights. Don't need a lunch for this one. What we say in gents and he's added Eddie Hearn and added Frank Warren. Well, this tweet went out, correct me if I'm wrong, on the very same day that Frank Warren announced the date for Dubois Joyce. I'm not sure whether Sowerland saw it or not. I don't know. But either way, we do have a date for Dubois Joyce. So the Hergovich fight is going to have to go on the back burner for now. As far as Hergovich beating Daniel Dubois up in sparring, Frank Warren did respond to that in this IFL interview and he didn't deny it and as far as I'm concerned that's an admission that it did happen but he also said that Dubois was only about 18 or 19 at the time Philip Hergovich was much more experienced which is true and sparring is sparring now anyone who wants to have a go at Sauerland for bringing up sparring stories you're going to also have to have a go at Frank Warren because he was happy to bring up sparring stories about Dubois dropping AJ in the gym. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? Now, I take on board what Frank Warren says about Daniel Dubois being inexperienced when he sparred Hergovich because Dubois only had seven senior amateur bouts Hergovich had countless senior amateur bouts and he fought in the World Series of Boxing. And also, as Frank Warren points out, Hergovich is, what, six, seven years older or something like that? Five, six years older, maybe, than Daniel Dubois. So he was physically more mature at a time when they sparred. And he was just further along in his boxing development. And as such, you can't really read too much into that particular sparring. You know, in some instances, sparring does mean something. People always say sparring doesn't mean anything. Well, no, that's not strictly true. In some situations, sparring actually does mean something. It all depends on the circumstances. But in this particular set of circumstances, all I would say is I wouldn't read too much in to Dubois getting beaten up by Hergovic in sparring. Apparently it was competitive. This is what I've heard. But then Hergovic got on top and he hurt Dubois to such a degree that they had to stop the spa. Okay, that's what I've heard. But things happen. Some of the greatest fighters of all time have been beaten up in sparring, dropped in sparring, knocked out in sparring. That's where you learn. That's where you perfect things and you, you know, work on your weaknesses so that it doesn't happen in an actual uh, pro fight. 
Now, if it had been the other way around, if it had been Hergovic with all the experience going in there against a very green Daniel Dubois with only seven senior amateur bouts and he got stopped in sparring, that would be more significant. Because again, this is a guy very mature in terms of his amateur experience and what have you and World Series of Boxing experience, getting stopped in sparring by such an inexperienced guy as Dubois, that would have been more significant to me because Dubois being further back in his uh, development, what would then happen all these years later after Dubois has improved so much? You know, if he stopped him when he was inexperienced in sparring back then, now, I mean, it could be a serious problem for Hergovic, but that's not what happened. It was the other way around. It was the vastly more experienced guy stopping the very, very inexperienced guy in sparring. So again, not to labor the point, can't read too much into that. I think for Dubois, as regards to Hergovic, it's more of a mental thing. It's not so much Hergovic has necessarily got Dubois' number stylistically or skills-wise, because as I say, Dubois is going to have improved a lot. It's more to do with, has Dubois recovered mentally from that situation? Now, most of you are going to say yes, but I wouldn't be so quick to jump to that conclusion because some fighters get spooked by things like this. I mean, a good example would be Alexander Vozdek. He got stopped in the amateurs by Artur Baturbiev. They fought in the pros many, many years later. And from the opening bell, you could tell by the body language that Vozdek was still intimidated by Baturbiev. He still hadn't gotten over what had happened in their amateur bout. He was spooked. I'm sure he did as best he could to try and think positively and what have you, but he was still spooked by what had happened. So some fighters managed to get over things like that easier than others. We'll have to see how Daniel Dubois gets over what happened to him in sparring against Filip Hergovic. But for now, as I say, Frank Warren has responded and he's basically said that Callis Auerland or Nissa, whoever it was that put the tweet out, is just clout chasing for their fighter, Philip Hergovic. And that's probably true, to be fair. As I say, this tweet was put out on the very same day that Dubois-Joyce got announced. Now, there are probably going to be some cynical people out there who say, well, the reason that Frank Warren announced it on that day is because he saw that tweet. <laughs> so he was trying to find a, an exit strategy to cover his, his back for not putting Dubois in against Hergovic. There, there are going to be some cynical people who say that. I've been making YouTube videos for over 10 years now. I know how boxing fans think, okay? But that aside, I think Frank Warren's probably right. They're just trying to build Hergovic's profile by associating him with names like Daniel Dubois, etc. because he's about to have a big fight with Joe Joyce. And... I've made several videos recently about the level of opposition that Hergovic has been fighting lately and it's poor. He needs to step it up. Uh, the Sourlands and Eddie Hearn need to do a better job. Now, Frank Warren, again, I have to agree with him. He said that he's matching his young heavyweight prospects slash contenders against each other in Dubois Joyce. And he also did it with Dubois Gorman. And he challenged the Sourlands and Eddie Hearn to do the same with their heavyweights. Now, you could say that Dylan White and Povetkin are both, I guess, matchroom heavyweights. But they're at world level. We're talking about guys on the come up. Guys who are prospects slash, you know, on the brink of becoming contenders. And Frank Warren is matching these guys against each other. Why don't they do the same with Hergovic? Why don't they put Hergovic in with Bacoli? Hergovic in with... Whoever else they've got over there, a matchroom, definitely have to, you know, side with Frank Warren on that one and say, yeah, that's a good point. So let me know what you guys think about all the points I've raised so far. And again, just finally, Hergovic's next scheduled bout is on November the 7th against Rydell Booker. Now, <laughs> when Rydell Booker fought Kubrat Pulev, his name sounded familiar to me. I was like, Rydell Booker? Why do I feel like I've heard of that name before? And if you go to his BoxRec page, this is Rydell Booker. 
39 years of age, fought Kubrat Polev last year, lost to Jermaine Franklin the same year on points. And he lost to James Tony back in 2004. That's where I know Rydell Booker from. He lost to James Tony 16 years ago. And this was at the tail end of James Tony's career. Rydell Booker turned pro back in 2001 when he fought Mike White. Is that the same Mike White who fought Butterbean? No, no, it's a different Mike White. But anyway, uh, Rydell Booker has been a professional for 19 years, but he's only had a total of 29 fights. So there was a hiatus in the middle of his career. Well, after the James Tony fight, he was off for 14 years. So what on earth happened to Rydell Booker between 2004 and 2018? Was he in prison? <laughs> I don't know why a guy would take a 14-year hiatus from the sport Maybe he was doing something else with his life, uh, business or what have you, and that didn't work out, so he's decided to come back to boxing for a bit of extra cash. Anyway, point being, this is the caliber of opposition that Philip Hergovich is fighting right now. And again, <laughs> I have to agree with Frank Warren. Another point he made is that Dubois is fighting a guy who beat Philip Hergovich in the World Series of Boxing in Joe Joyce. Whereas Hergovich is fighting Rydell Booker. Yeah, surely the Sowerlands can do better than this. In Hergovich's most recent bout, as we know, he fought Alexander or Alexandre, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Cartosia, and that fight went exactly as we all expected. <laughs> it was over very, very quickly. So anyway, let me know what you guys think about all the points of discussion I've raised in this video. Frank Warren's response. Again, I can only agree with pretty much everything Frank Warren has said here that they're basically just clout chasing the Sowerlands, that is. You know, trying to associate Hergovich's name with Dubois. And look, I'm sure the Sowerlands would be willing to put Hergovich in with Dubois. But Dubois got this fight, so they're going to have to find something else decent for Hergovich elsewhere. They need to start doing a better job, the Sowerlands and Eddie Hearn. Let me know how you guys feel in the comments below. Okay, Peter, so today, really, I wanted to talk about another curiosity that's popped up in the world of boxing. So McGregor Pacquiao, you know, a fight that um, McGregor first announced, uh, you know, on his Twitter feed. And everybody thought, oh, yeah, come on, that's never going to happen. And then all of a sudden, Pacquiao chimed in and said, yeah, yeah, it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, it now looks like, a, you know, something that, that, that is reasonably going to happen. Now, interestingly enough, Pacquiao signed for the same management company McGregor um, is with about a couple of months ago. So that seems to make the whole thing, you know, work. And um, so we're talking about McGregor's second boxing match. Now, this is very interesting. I was trying to work out this Peter, the other day. If, if it does come off with, with uh, Pacquiao, and uh, probably the reason Pacquiao is doing it is McGregor managed to generate the amazing showman, an amazing salesman. You know, he got paid upwards of 300 million for that fight, as did Mayweather. Uh, I'm talking about the Mayweather-McGregor fight. And, you know, so Pacquiao is probably looking at that, at that as a retirement package. And Pacquiao, being Pacquiao, has already said, I'm going to give a large proportion of my earnings from this fight to COVID relief in the Philippines. So, again, always the humanitarian. But, you know, if this fight comes off, this is an interesting bit of trivia. So he earned 300 million for 10 rounds against Mayweather. Let's say he does the same against Pacquiao. And let's say he lasts 10 rounds. I don't think he'll last 10 rounds against Pacquiao, but lasts a bit less. He's going to be earning upwards of 10 million pounds per competitive professional boxing round. Now, he'll probably finish his boxing career zero and two, you know, with, two, with being stopped twice. Um, and he will have earned, you know, 10 to 15 million dollars per round. So I reckon that makes him 
arguably could be the most successful boxer of all time under certain metrics. So this is going to be a great pub quiz. Um, but let's look into whether the reality of this fight is, is going to come to pass. Now, um, what they've said is that um, this fight is going to happen in late December, early January. McGregor tweeted the Middle East. Pacquiao was saying, you know, the management company is saying they're looking at other venues. So that could be maybe because they're trying to up the site fee for whoever gets it in the Middle East because the world eyes will be on it. So we're looking maybe Saudi Arabia. Um, but I think the likelihood is, is, is quite likely that it will happen. I know it'll upset the boxing purists. Uh, but also, let's go back and, and we, we could look at um, you know Pacquiao's amazing career, you know, across across those five weight divisions. And the amazing thing is at 43, he still seems to be going strong. Obviously, last year he beat Keith Thurman, you know, a real young sort of hot guy, big puncher, and, and you know, and Mayweather dominated him early. Uh, sorry, beg your pardon. Pacquiao dominated him early in the fight, and then you know, and then there, there were patches where he was struggling a little bit, but he came out to win on points, you know, and that, that's a, that's a really uh, you know a top level guy. So. You know, he's still very, and that, in, in that fight, he won the WBA welterweight title. So he's a world champion. He's a legitimate world champion, even at 43. And obviously, he's a legend. Um, now, if we look back at McGregor's boxing career, we know all about his MMA career and the two-weight world champion and all that sort of thing. But, you know, and this is going to upset some of the boxing brethren here. I don't think he did too badly in the Mayweather fight. There seems to be a, you know, a, a sort of thing going around now that, oh, Mayweather carried him and, you know, all that sort of thing. I don't think he did, really. I mean, I think what happened is... Mayweather was 40 years old. He'd been off for two, two and a half years. He came back for that fight for the money, thought it was going to be an easy night. Obviously, I think McGregor did quite well. McGregor worked out, you know, he's a bigger guy. He's a longer guy. He thought, keep this long. And you've got to remember, Floyd is a counterpuncher. You know, Floyd likes to sit back, let you make your moves, and he picks you off. And he's superlative at it, you know, probably the best that's ever done it. So, um, but, you know, as a counterpuncher, it's difficult to fight someone who's so long as McGregor and, you know, is just trying to pot shot from the outside and move around. So, you know, eventually, I mean, the, the fight, so I thought McGregor, uh, McGregor was leading the early rounds, you know what I mean? And he was winning some battles, but he was always going to lose the war, you know, and we knew that. And then Floyd had to say, right, look, I'm going to come and get you. I'm going to come and make it uncomfortable for you. And eventually I'll get you. And then you saw Floyd coming forward. And when did you ever see Floyd coming forward like that? You know, this is Floyd, you know, this is the Floyd we all know. But, you know, Floyd's coming forward, made McGregor feel uncomfortable, put the pressure on McGregor, which obviously he couldn't handle because he'd never been in that environment. It was all new territory to him. He wasn't sure what Floyd was going to do, you know, and just the, the, the sheer intensity for McGregor made him absolutely exhausted. And, and, and the inevitable happened. You know, Floyd walked him down and stopped him in the 10th round. But I don't think it was a bad performance for his first fight. Um, going in with Pacquiao. It's going to be a slightly different kettle of fish. Pacquiao's an aggressive fighter, come forward fighter. So Pacquiao will come out of the blocks looking for McGregor. Um, now, how are they going to make this fight? Because Pacquiao is the legitimate WBA world welterweight champion. And I was looking at the WBA rules, and it says that, one, you have to be a ranked contender with the WBA. Now, the WBA are, you know, a, a sort of law unto themselves, so they could potentially rank McGregor. I mean, I think they'd be laughed out of town if they did. Secondly, it does say in the rules you have to have won your last fight. So McGregor is 0-1 and one as a boxer, so he doesn't count for the WBA title. But anyway, they've said what they're going to do is probably do this north of the weight, north of welterweight, which obviously will give McGregor some advantage, you know, weigh it slightly towards him because he is a bigger guy than Pacquiao. Um, and so it's not going to be for the WBA title, um, probably going to be over 10 rounds in the Middle East. So that, I think, is what we're looking at, looking at seeing. But like I say, the interesting thing as well is McGregor being the consummate brilliant salesman that managed to sell the world, you know, his, his, his first fight, his first boxing match with Mayweather as a legitimate contest and got those amazing pay-per-view buys globally. Can he do that trick a second time? Because if he can't, if everybody gives it, look, you know, McGregor, you know, you come on, you know, you've got to go back to the drawing board. You want to be taken seriously as a boxer. As everybody said, you've got to have a few fights against people, build yourself up, learn the trade. You can't just jump in at this level. But can he sell that to the world again? Um, my suspicion is, you know, he's such a character, he probably can. Maybe it's not going to be the Floyd thing. Maybe it's not going to be the imponderable thing. And to be fair to McGregor as well, you know, he is a great fighter. He is a great athlete. He's a great combat athlete. But you've got to remember, when you put this guy into a boxing ring, you know, you're taking away most of his tools. You're taking away the kicks. You're taking away the elbows. You're taking away the, the ground game. You know, so he's not left with a lot. So, um, you know, I've got a kind of a bit of sympathy. I think he did well against against Mayweather, considering I think he'd do well against Pacquiao, considering I think he gets stopped earlier because I think Pacquiao will come looking for him. Um, but, you know, he'll probably make a lot of money. And like I say, in years to come, it's going to be the best pub qu trivia quiz in the world. Who finished 
their career with no wins and two losses, two stoppage losses, and had arguably the most successful career in boxing ever. If you miss out from a financial point of view, that's your question. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a great ballyhoo. They're going to sell it to us really well. Um, it looks like it's coming up in the Middle East, January, uh, you know, December, January. And um, I think it's, you know, to be honest with you, Peter, I know, again, the Boxing Brother are going to hate me for this. I think it's going to be fun. And if you look at it as a bit of fun, you know, not as a serious contest, not as something that waters down Pacquiao's legacy, then I think that's all it's going to be. And, and, and let's let it roll. That's all I can say. Now, as we've talked about, Peter, there's lots of crazy stuff happening in the world of boxing. Pacquiao's tweeting, McGregor's tweeting, you know, Mayweather's tweeting, Evie's even going in with Logan Paul. And, you know, it's all getting a bit crazy, and I'm waiting for them to start talking about Rumble, and I'm sure they will. But in the meantime, it's being picked up on the UK boxing scene, and a lot of characters are coming in. And we have the Wilston Raider has decided he wants to chime in and have a few words about Rumble Live coming up on the 31st. 31st of October, the Rumble Live at South Mornington Boxing Show. Tune in to watch my good friend, Gary Tindall, take on Daryl May. It's going to be a really good fight. Daryl May, if you want some, Gary Tindall will deal with you. You want some? Just a bit of a training update. I think we're four, four or five weeks in. Uh, training's going really well, down to five days a week now. Um, so, a bit of sprinting, a couple of runs a week, uh, technical stuff at uh, Team Pete with Kyle. Um, yeah, it's going, going really well. Weight coming off? Yeah, yeah, down from that 112 kilos. Uh, I think I'm about 100, 106, 107 now. So, um, like I said, when I first when I first started boxing, it was mainly to lose weight because so I was sitting around 18 and a half. Uh, got down to about 16. Thought that was a bit too light. I sort of lost my power with that. Uh, so yeah, I think 17 is the best weight for me. We're four weeks out. Feeling ready? Yeah, yeah, feeling ready. Could go tonight, I reckon. Lovely job. So where are you fighting, Jack? Uh, so South Morton Boxing Club, uh, the Rumble, uh, 31st of October. Yeah, really looking forward to it. So you're going to share the link on you, of the YouTube link to everybody. Yeah, yeah. And get all your fans watching. Yeah, all on Instagram as well. Uh, JJD1990, I think, is my uh, my little handle on there. Uh, yeah, just try and get as many people as watching as possible. My name's Tom. I'm from Cape Town. And I'll be representing South Africa in my fight against Simon Barlow on October 31st. Feeling very strong, feeling very fit. And all I can do is wish Simon the best of luck. Weight some point? Weight some point, yeah. Uh, feeling, like I've said, heavy, strong, more muscular, uh, more powerful. Yeah, feeling good at this weight. First time I've fought at this weight before, and uh, 
feels natural to me. It feels feel like um, a lot more. Yeah, it feels a lot more natural. When can we see you fight? What's that? When can we see you fight? Uh, fighting on the 31st of October, down in Deep Court at Southwater Gym. Uh, I'll keep up, everyone updated on YouTube and in, in my Instagram. Uh, yeah, and you can watch it live. What's your handle on Instagram? What's that? What's your handle on Instagram? Uh, at Murphy Island uh, 28. At Murphy Island 28. Alright, guys, just posting a video about a training update. Four weeks out from the fight now, so we're looking at putting on updates every week, every Wednesday, about the training. This week, it's been good. But like I said, exactly, almost exactly four weeks to go before Halloween, so that's the fight night. Now, this week's looked pretty good. Played sport on the weekend, and then had a rest day on Sunday. Then it's been CrossFit conditioning Monday, Tuesday, and then today again this morning, 9:30, got another CrossFit conditioning, and then I'll be in the gym later on for some bag work as well. So CrossFit conditioning class down at. The athlete centre in Didcot's where I train, do most of my training, and then into my sparring down at Sea Bay in TP Basingstoke, which has been going really well. Missed Sunday because of because um, of work, so, but I'm back in again at this week, and then I'll probably have four more four more weeks down there, all the way through to the fight. Really looking forward to it now, just building up and building up the training, and then I'll be tapering it off sort of on the Wednesday towards the end of the fight. But obviously, I'll speak to you next week anyway. Looking like it's going to be a good fight. I know George is training hard. You know, diet's going well. Coming off nicely. I've only got to make 90, 90 kilos pretty much for cruiserweight. That's what the cruiserweight title's up for me and George Pickett. I'm about 90, 93 and a half, 94 now. So I'm going to keep that on for another week or so and then just start tapering down the food. It's an easy easy weight cut for me. I'm used to making weight cuts a lot bigger than that. So it's going to be good. Fish feel energised for the fight. And like I say, 9.30 this morning. Uh, the athlete centre did crossfit conditioning and then I'll be in the gym again later on today and then moving into the working week so it's going to be good just balancing the gym around shift work and all that usual for me so it's going to be good looking forward to it I know George is training hard and dieting hard hopefully <laughs> and uh, looking forward to the fight uh, yeah so a little weekly update on me fighting Grant Barber the policeman um See, he's been training between shift work, being a policeman. Um, it's been interesting viewing, that's for sure. Um, yeah, so with him, with them videos coming out, it's been a bit of a giggle for me. I've been training really hard through lockdown personally. Um, put on a bit of size, kept fit. Now I've seen his videos come out, so I've decided to have a week off. So, cheers, Grant. Um, but yeah, so having a week off, a bit of relaxing, chilling out, off to London tomorrow for a few days. Then be back to it after that, but it's not anything really to worry about. Been him twice already, who do you think he is really? Um, yeah, just looking forward to the fight. You know, he doesn't want to punch a policeman. <laughs> Uh, no, seriously, he's a lovely bloke though, he's a lovely bloke, he's a, he's a nice lad. We go way back, training with um, CMA, Team Pete, but I'm also doing a bit with Roman, Roman Ship. Um, also training at Pure Gym, doing some weights, adding that size. Just can't wait, but just going to enjoy my week off really. Sound. Hi <laughs> <clears throat> guys, thanks for dribbling. Um, first... Uh, diary video training well supposed to be training video diary five weeks out to the fight but unfortunately for me this week no training um i've had a an infection from an antibiotic so i've been quite poorly this week um i can't really walk properly or anything like that so obviously no good for boxing um a bit disappointing um sort of got a bit of energy to use up and can't do anything with it but resting up hopefully be back at it once the antibiotics have run their course so i'm on that till monday so hopefully i'll be back in um but 100 percent still up for the fight of course looking forward to it like i said five weeks out uh looking forward to getting in there and still looking forward to going to war with ben rodriguez take care guys bye bye <laughs>